We're going to be looking for a few minutes at the book of Exodus. And I know what you might be thinking of uh, after hearing that gospel reading is two weeks from the election, he chickened out. Um, Not really. Uh, I think these are important things, and we need to be praying about them. I really felt drawn, though, for our community right now to look at some of the things here in Exodus 33. Brother Lawrence was a Carmelite monk in the 17th century in France, and he was assigned to duty in the monastery's kitchen. He wasn't very high up in the pecking order, and he just helped prepare simple meals, and then he had the task of cleaning things up. And it was in the drudgery of these daily undertakings that he developed an interior spiritual life that was full of peace and joy. Whatever was going on in his circumstances, or even not going on in his life, he developed a discipline that allowed him to have an awareness of God in every moment. If things were going well, then he could know joy. If he was facing trials, he could know joy. Now, this wasn't a matter of denying the reality going on or denying the difficulty or even the boring and mundane circumstance he was in. It was instead inviting God to inhabit every place in his life. It was a matter of humility, of dependence on God, of discipline. Brother Lawrence had an ongoing conversation with God in his life, in his heart, in his mind that filled every situation. And he called this practicing the presence of God. He said this, he said, The most holy place, the nearest to daily life, and the most essential for the spiritual life is the practice of the presence of God. That is, to find joy in his divine company and to make it a habit of life, speaking humbly and conversing lovingly with him at all times, every moment, without rule or restriction. Above all, at times of temptation, Distress, dryness, and revulsion, and even of faithlessness and sin. People today are longing to live in hope, to know that there's some greater meaning to all that we're experiencing right now. N.T. Wright has noted that there's all the difference in the world between waking up in a single bed and waking up in a double bed with nobody on the other side. He said, many in our culture may be atheists or agnostics, but they still find themselves wondering why the other side of the bed still feels warm and the sheets a little rumpled. For for Christians, we declare that God is hope, and we offer that hope to the world. Yet I think sometimes we wonder where God has gone. We want to know that God is near, but it's sometimes hard to feel that He is. I had a uh, seminary professor, a man that I respected greatly and I still respect, who recently passed away. And yet I knew from the conversations we entered into that for all of his theological knowledge, faith was a constant struggle. And we would talk about God, and we would talk about, um, you know, who is God? What is the idea of God? What's the concept of God? He could never kind of get personal with it. He always wanted to place it out here somewhere is some, it was very philosophical for him. And one day I just thought I'd cut through that. And I asked him, I said, when you pray, because I knew he did pray, I said, when you pray, do you think anyone is listening? He said, I don't know. I don't know. Yet his tone was hopeful. 
we want to know that we're not just going through the motions here. Gathering each week to worship, whether here or online, singing or not singing, praying a few prayers, eating a wafer, maybe sharing our faith with someone that we meet in our life, our work, or family. We want to know that God is working in the world, revealing his kingdom, transforming the life that we have. Struggle and difficulty can dull our sense of God's presence, like it's dulling everything else, or can actually deepen our awareness if we'll press into the discipline, the discipline of practicing God's presence. See, this was the crisis for Moses in Exodus 33 and for the people of Israel. Would God just live on that mountain, far away, secluded, and distant, or would he really be with them? When he tells Moses to lead the people on from Sinai, this was the issue. Was he sending them away into the wilderness, or would his presence truly go with them? Could they trust that they would not be left alone? I'm going to read just a few verses from the beginning of uh, chapter 33, which is not included in the lectionary passage, because it kind of sets what Moses' response is. Remember, this is after the golden calf and all of that situation, uh, over which God did show mercy. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people that you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. That's what Moses is responding to here, right? They wanted to know, Moses needed to know, would their faith simply be carved on stone tablets that they would carry around with them, or would they know by experience the God who had delivered them and called them his own? Moses is desperate to know this. We are desperate to know it again. So Moses engages God in dialogue, in conversation, He prays, (laughs) and what a prayer, right? I mean, he challenges God. He, He questions. He reminds him. He laments. Lord, you've said lead, but you haven't told me who would be coming along leading with me. You said an angel, but really, is that it? You said you found favor with me, but if so, then teach me your ways. Let me know what's going on. I want to continue to find favor with you. I want to understand. I want to see your face. Now, God answers Moses, doesn't he? That his presence will go with Moses. And we can't see it here, but he says, I will go with you. That's in the singular. (laughs) I'll go with you, Moses. I'll give you rest, singular. But for Moses, that's not good enough. If your presence does not go with us, then don't send us. In fact, he adds, if you're not with us, we'll be no different than any other people on the earth. This prayer is a struggle, isn't it? I mean, it is. I mean, I know that, you know, Brother Lawrence set up kind of this nice conversations with God, and and hopefully that's mostly what it is, but not always. Moses is pressing in, and with every demand he makes for God to be present, Moses grows a little more himself, 
into the leader that God has called him to be. This prayer is actually shaping Moses. As he intercedes for them, remember, Lord, these are your people, he says. They are becoming his people as well. Do your prayers ever sound like this? Do we pray like this? Do we trust enough in our relationship with God and God's character that we can engage with honesty and even some frustration from time to time? Maybe anger at the brokenness of sin in the world and injustice. Do we think God can take it? Sometimes our prayers are a little too safe. They're a little too deferential. Especially in hard times. Now, we are people of the book. We're people of the Bible. We are. We're not ashamed of that. We don't back away from that. But I have to say, as Anglicans, we're also people of the prayer book. And you know, I love the Book of Common Prayer. Some of the most beautiful and powerful lines of literature are found in its pages. It, it shapes our life as a community, doesn't it? In very powerful and transforming ways. But I have to admit, I'm honest, sometimes it feels like the prayers see everything through stained glass, if you know what I mean. Maybe we need to write a few new prayers to be used on occasion, prayers that will sound like this intercession of Moses, desperately passionate from the heart, with the page dotted with sweat and spit, maybe even little blood. Although maybe those are the best kind of prayers not written down. You know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't write those down. But I think, I think sometimes this is why people struggle with prayer. Where they say, yeah, I, I just can't get into it. I, I don't think it's for me because um, we've said it out here. We've presented it as something we must do with our Sunday clothes on. With our hair combed and our nails cleaned. With our language switched to God's code. Now, there is a place for that as I stand here in my vestments. I mean, there, there's, there is a place for this, right? I think it's most of the time. But there's also a place for the prayer of Moses, for the songs of the psalmist, for the prayers of the man of sorrows, prayers that engage God with challenge, even complaint, but also with trust, with trust. You see, the goal of Moses' prayer and the result he finds is the promise of God's abiding presence. And how does God answer this prayer? He says, I will do the very thing you've asked. I will do it. The prayer of honest engagement is also part of the practice of the presence of God. And if you're needing to know afresh that God is with you, with us, then get real in your prayers. And press in. But don't forget as well who this is that you're engaging with. Because God gets real too. But God desires for us to know and long for his presence with us. And to ask is, is, to, is to request something that God delights to do. You see, God's presence is a sign that we're his. That we're a living community in his name. 
I was also struck in this passage with something else in a way that I have not been before. And, and it's this, that the discussion around God's presence is really about God's face. Did you catch that going through the reading? My presence will go with you, according to Walter Brueggemann, is like saying, my face will be turned to you. Presence and face. See, we live in a world now where most people, at least around here, are wearing face coverings or masks. And I've become aware of how much a mask can mask, how much it hides. I mean, bank robbers must be having a heyday, right? Because for, for people I know well, if I've known them a long time, or even if I've just got to know them before the pandemic, it's a complication. It's sort of an irritation uh, not to be able to fully see their expressions, their smiles, to read their emotions. But for people I'm meeting for the first time, with their face covered, I wonder, who is this really? Can I really know you if I've not seen your face? Moses wants to be assured of Israel's survival. So he seeks the promise of God's presence. That's a promise that he receives. But he also wants to know this God who's brought him from exile to what must feel like a precarious position of leadership. He wants to see the face of God. Not just to know about God, but he wants to intimately know him. So in mercy, God refuses that specific request in order to spare Moses' life. But he does allow him to see his glory protected by the rocky crag, held by God's own hand. You know, there's something awesome here, but also something very intimate as Moses moves closer to the God who has invited him into relationship. Fanny Crosby wrote a gospel song that we would sing when I was a child. And one of the lines is, He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of pleasure I see. Blind since early childhood, Crosby, who was the greatest hymn writer of her time, could express seeing the glory of God, a gift of God's presence in the midst of the dry and thirsty land of her disability. We have been given a gift of God's presence that Moses could not experience because we can look upon the face of God. God showed his face in Jesus, who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And in this time when we want to be so assured of God's presence with us, we just have to look to Jesus, to know him, to know his life and his life in us by the Spirit. And we can know what Moses so wanted to rest in, and that's God's abiding presence. Dallas Willard uh, was a religious philosopher and uh, mentored so many people um, one of the things that people don't know about Dallas is he lost his mother as a young child. So he grew up without his mother. And he wrote once of a little boy whose mom had died. Maybe he was writing about himself. He was especially sad and lonely at night, and he would come into his father's room and ask if he could sleep with him. And even then, he couldn't rest until he knew not only that he was with his father, but that his father's face was turned toward him. And in the dark, he would say, Father, is your face turned toward me now? 
Yes, his father would say, you are not alone. I'm with you. My face is turned toward you. And when at last the boy was assured of this, he could rest. Dallas concludes this story by saying how lonely life is. Oh, we can get by in life with a God who doesn't speak or show his face. And many at least think they do. But it's not much of a life. And it's certainly not the life God intends for us or the abundance of life Jesus came to make available. We practice the presence of God of knowing his face is turned toward us by inviting him into every moment of our life, by engaging in prayer throughout the day, by growing our awareness that God is here. God is with us in our struggles. God is with us in this time. We open ourselves to him, our joys and trials. There's a new little prayer book that's come out, and I want to commend it to us. It's called Every Moment Holy. And it's an amazing collection of prayers that are written for all kinds of events. Um, Here are some of the things. They're just little liturgies. Before serving others. For nights and days of doubt. For dating or courtship. For those flooded by too much information. Before shopping. (laughs) for one who has suffered a nightmare. I did one the other day, which was a liturgy for the first fire of the season. I lit the fire at home. I think Brother Lawrence would approve of this, right? It's a way of inviting God into all of the moments of our life, and we can know what Moses desired to know, that God is with us, and we can practice his presence. We just have to look for him. We have to be open to God because he's ready to be found. Amen.